Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to the When to Jump podcast. I'm Alex Abnos filling in again for your regular host, Mike Lewis. Uh, Before we get started, I just want to put out a quick call for ratings and reviews. I know it seems silly, and maybe it is, but every five-star rating and every review we get helps others find the show. It only takes a couple minutes, and we really appreciate it. Now, on to the show. We have a great guest today, as Mike got the chance to interview Sandra Smith. You may know her today as the host of America's Newsroom and Outnumbered on Fox News Channel. But Sandra's background for most of her life had little to do with television, or really even journalism. Her story is all about saying yes when opportunities arise, and being okay with making sacrifices along the way. That's just a portion of some of the wisdom contained in this interview. I really enjoyed it. I'll leave it at that for now, though. Here, without any more spoilers, is Mike's interview with Sandra Smith. Sandra Smith, the co-host of Fox News Channel's America's Newsroom and the co-host of Outnumbered, thank you so much for joining me on the When to Jump podcast. It's my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. So backing up quite a bit, you were a successful collegiate runner. Is that right? Yes. I ran track and field and cross country for LSU, Louisiana State University down in Baton Rouge. And... One of my finest moments was running on that track. They have a storied history, and it was it was a big deal to make it there. And then we had a lot of success when we were when we were actually running there. So I have fond memories of my time in Baton Rouge. Are you a Louisiana native? I am not. I grew up in Chicago. Really? How is that moving? I mean, that must be almost like a culture country shock, even though it's still the states. Culture shock. That's a good way to put it. It was an incredible contrast to what I got to know in the Midwest. And I had started out college in the Midwest in in central Illinois. And to make the move down to Louisiana, talk about a jump. It was incredible. (laughs) I mean, just completely different people, completely different foods, completely different culture, family life. It was amazing. And I look back and I think, gosh, what if that never happened? I would be a completely different person today because it truly changed me in so many ways. What was most terrifying of that move, if you had to rewind the clocks a bit and you, th- you think of what almost led you to not jump down there? What, what, what almost held you back? Having absolutely no knowledge of the area and knowing not a soul on the ground there, I simply packed a suitcase, got on an airplane, and went down there. I didn't even have a formal college visit. Uh, I had applied, gotten in, and packed my bag, and it was... I began my life there, and it was. I have so much respect for the people of Southeast Louisiana. It's a it's a completely different way of life. I always say it's one of the most foreign places, while still being in the United States. It is just completely different than any other any other place. And fast forward to post graduation, you move back to Chicago to work in finance. Is that right? I did. Um, I I ended up in New York first, though. That was my first stop. Right. And 
some opportunities were, you know, something sort of fell in my lap. It was, I was doing some things in fashion, some print modeling type stuff, um, fresh off of my track days. And I had a serious background in finance. And here I had just come off of, uh, you know, my degree and, and my family grew up in the financial industry, all traders in Chicago. And, and it was just something that came very easily to me. And, and one day I was asked to, to possibly do some research, retail research for a hedge fund in New York. And I started doing this as just kind of a, a side gig. And I found it to be something I was very much interested in. It was like researching retail stocks, fashion stocks, you know, stores, a lot of the names that you know today. And I was doing that. And it was just, it was kind of just a, a short term thing. And I guess the folks there at the buy side firm picked up on all my knowledge. And it wasn't like something I had just learned there. And I, I went through um, getting all my licenses to become a full-fledged equities trader. I, I got my Series 7. I took my Series 63. This company paid for me to take my classes and take my tests. And, and all of a sudden, I was a fully licensed stock trader. And then, and what happens next? I believe there was, is that when you met your now husband? It's interesting because I was on the buy side in New York, meaning I was working for this hedge fund. And all of a sudden I had all these, in kind of the heyday of hedge funds, I had all these New York hedge fund contacts. Big names, sought after names were on my speed dial when I was working at Hermitage Capital. And a sell side firm in Chicago took notice and knowing sort of who I was, but then what I had been doing in New York was of a lot of interest to other companies. And I got asked to take this job in, in Chicago, which was flipping from the buy side to the sell side. So I, um, I jumped onto the institutional arm of an equities firm in Chicago because of my great knowledge and, and access to hedge funds in New York. And it was off to the races there. And while I was on the institutional arm of that firm, my husband was heading up the futures arm of that firm. And he pretended like he didn't know me when I was, you know, walked around and introduced to an all-male trading desk, which I would eventually sit on. And that was the first time I met him. And he had given his two weeks notice that he was done at that firm. And I was just starting. And so, so we sort of just crossed paths. And then... Thankfully, they crossed paths again in Chicago a little bit later on. <laughs> so I know that's a little bit all wonky, jargony stuff, but that's really, really how things kind of happened. And that's how I made my jump from New York back to my hometown of Chicago. And you get to Chicago. Uh, you, you don't last forever in the finance industry. Is that right? So this is sort of, this is sort of, the introduction to my big jump into TV, what happened was at my firm in Chicago, I had noticed that someone there represented the firm, the trading desk, by going on TV at the, at the trading floors, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which I worked on as well, and the Chicago Board of Trade, which I worked on as well, and both my families, uh, sorry, my family, as well as my husband's family, spent a lot of time down there. And an opportunity arose. Somebody was out one day and they said, we need somebody to go and fill this, these TV spots. And the company asked me to sort of go be the face of the firm. And, and, and I said, well, what for? And they said they like to add, you know, these various networks, whether it was Bloomberg TV or, or um, CNBC, they like to come to the trading floors and ask people what they're seeing as far as order flow and the excitement on the floor, what the big news is. And I thought, well, that can't be too difficult, right? 
Well, I got in front of a camera and I about threw up. It was a pretty crazy experience. And um, I thought this is not, I don't know that I can, it was, I mean, it made my stomach churn. And I don't think I was very good either. Um, but then I got asked back and I did a couple more of these. And all of a sudden I could tell that I was warming up and, and, and it became a thing. I kind of became the face of my firm and I was doing a bunch of these television hits. And one day a producer called and said, can we fly to New York and meet you? And this was Bloomberg TV, and I said, "What for?" And they said, "Would you, would you consider a career in television?" And that's when the big question came in. So that's crazy because hey, you already moved from New York, and now you're getting a call to go back to New York. And not only that, I had just gotten all studied so hard and spent all this time preparing for and passing these serious securities exams that are a really big deal to get. And to take on a role in television as a career, I would be asked to permanently hang those licenses up. You cannot, you cannot speak on TV and actually, you know, as a reporter that at least, and and have these licenses be active. So, it was a huge question that changed my life. Uh, I worked briefly on a trading floor as an intern for Goldman Sachs, and I remember that was kind of like making it once you pass those tests. So for for our non-financy listeners, like that's a big deal. And like you said, it's kind of like going through med school. I have a lot of uh, folks in our community who always ask that question: Is it too late? Because I've invested all of this. Yeah, like I've got I've got all this stuff behind me. I'm supposed to be a a doctor, or in your case, uh, a trader, or in research and and that's that's really tough, right? To kind of look yourself in the mirror and think of ditching all of it. Yeah, it it, it and it, it's it's I guess the medical school reference is the only thing. It doesn't take quite as long, and if it does, you probably shouldn't even be taking the test because I already had had a lot of that background information from growing up and in, in, on the trading floors and in the in the financial fields, and and here I had done so much in college that focused on business and finance as well. Um, but I did work hard to do that. And, and that was a lot for that firm to do that for me too, but they really believed in me and I was loyal to them, but they also wanted what was best for me. There was sort of a grandfatherly figure that was heading up that hedge fund in New York. And I'll never forget when he discovered my background knowledge of, of trading. I don't think he thought I had any. And one day he pulled me aside and tried to describe to me what it meant to sell something short. And he used Barbie dolls as the commodity. And I thought, Oh Lord. And, and, um, and then I kind of giggled and he said, what? And I, and I went on to full explanation of, of what I knew and how I knew it. And he was a little bit embarrassed. And that was when he said, well, that makes so much sense because they had already been giving me such big responsibilities there. Some would argue prematurely, but I just took them on and I worked so hard and I did my homework. And, and so I think they were happy to see me, um, you know, I don't think they thought that I could progress my career where I wanted to there. So when I made the jump to Chicago, I think they were very happy for me. And I still I still follow up with them to this day. I have contact with them, and, and that's really neat for me. And then when I went to Chicago, things were going so well um, for me on the trade desk there. And again, an all-male trade desk, being the only female is quite – is quite the experience, but one that was not foreign to me because, as you probably know, I, I I grew up on the trading floors as a young kid. My dad took me down into the commodity pits with sneakers on, and and I really got to know the ins and outs of that business, including that it was extremely male focused and male dominated at that time. And so that wasn't too difficult for me to navigate. 
And so I worked my way around that trade desk and I did a lot of good things for that firm. And they were sending me all over the country, meeting with hedge fund clients and things like that at that time. And when they asked me to go on TV and be the face of the firm, I'm sure they probably knew they were taking on a bit of a risk doing that. And sure enough, it opened up a, 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 a bigger door for me. Wow. So you're, you're staring down this potential big jump, both geographically and in a career, you know, leaving finance, going into journalism. And there's also a third piece of this, which is that you and John, you know, were dating in Chicago and living together, right? So no. So we had, so we were, we were dating. Um, We still maintained two different residences and all those kind of things. And we were not married for several years later. Um, So we were dating and he was a big part of that decision as well. And he had really helped me through a lot of this because he had done some TV spots too. And, and he kind of gave me the ins and outs of, of how these things go. And he kind of saw that things were starting to go really well. And to be honest, I don't think it completely shocked him that all of a sudden somebody was asking me to do this as a career. But what happened was Bloomberg TV, um, they said, look, you go take this test and, and all these kind of things. And I met, I flew into New York. They had me meet all the way up the chain to their top executives and, and, and a full offer was on the table. And I, I, spoke, with, I spoke with my then um, boyfriend, John, my, my now husband. I spoke to my father about it, my parents. I, I talked to a lot of people um, that were close to me at that time. And a lot of, you know, that helps, uh, talking through it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what, what am I doing? This is crazy. And at the time... In financial services, the big question is, isn't there more opportunity for money to stay in, in trading? You know, wouldn't there be bigger room for margin to, 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 to stay in that business and, and grow that rather than jump to TV for a, a, a set salary kind of thing? And I said, I can't make this decision just based on money. You know, I have to figure out what the long term is for me. And I think when you jump, when you make a jump, especially a jump as wild as that, while money is always important and it has to play an important role in your decision, I think you always have to look long-term and think, what am I going to like to do? What am I going to be good at? What has the biggest room for growth? And, you know, what truly challenges you? What truly do you, are you interested in doing? And I mean, all those things played a part in my decision there. And and that's when I ultimately decided to sign the dotted line, and I formally accepted an offer with Bloomberg TV. And then it's kind of like any job; you start at the bottom. I remember they said, "Do you want to, you know here? You should take some prompter le- reading lessons and things like this." And I thought, "What have I gotten myself into?" And but you know what? It focused on my forte. I, I was specifically reporting on commodities at Bloomberg TV, and that was fun for me. All of a sudden, I was calling all the people that were either customers or colleagues, and I was scooping stories, and it was an awesome year that I had at Bloomberg TV. And it was it was just a year, by the way, because Fox came calling. And what's so cool about what you said about that nugget of jumping for this, you know, vision rather than just the short term next step, you know, you didn't know necessarily, or maybe you did that Fox would call a year later, but it seems like you took this jump being like, you know, pretty clear on what 
the next maybe it's five years or 10 years or at least the kind of the long term would look like. And I think that sounds like a really important part when you take a jump, right? So there was something I was thinking about the other day about that long term versus the short term. And there was a philosophy my mother had when we were growing up. I was one of five girls, one of six kids. I do have one brother. And I remember she didn't want us to, to work in the service industry. She said, I, she, she kind of said, I want you to stay away from, from waitressing or, gosh, bartending or anything like that, which a lot of kids do in high school or college, because she didn't like the idea of that, that short-term gratification, that quick money. She thought, she, she thought because that can feel really good and, and, and that, can, that can be really nice to have that quick cash and, and easy money. Uh, when when you're at that time in your life. But she didn't want me to get that sense and get that feeling early on because she always wanted me to think the long term. And it's kind of something that stuck with me and, and, and helped me with a lot of those decisions. I, I think you've always got to have a, a good balance of long term versus short term vision. And I think it's a I think it's a 70 30 sort of balance. And in the case of of making that move to to Bloomberg, now that I look back, that was that was part of the long term. And it was it was turned out to be a great decision because, as I said, Fox came calling about a year after I was at Bloomberg. And the opportunity to start day one at a brand new network, Fox Business Network, arose. And that was a really exciting time. So I want to get into that exciting time, but I'd like to also return to the fact that you, you, know, you, you said you grew up with how many sisters? Um, I'm one of six kids. I have, there's five girls and one boy. So I have four sisters. Okay. So I am one of six kids and I have four sisters wow. and a brother. And I say that because people talk a lot about, you know, what makes your, your DNA? What do you look back on as like, in, you know, very impactful. And I always say it is being one of six kids. And then secondary, it's, it's having four sisters. And so I'd be curious, especially cause you mentioned earlier about the the all male or male dominated environment that you found in finance, you know, to what extent, if any, did, did growing up in a big family with many sisters, it sounds like with a very um, wise mother, did that prepare you for going into, you know, some tough environments later on? We were always messing around with each other. You know how it is in a big family. I mean, you cannot take teasing personally. I mean, we were always poking at each other, always taking jabs, but we never took it too seriously. And we are so close to this day, all of my siblings. We get along great. And we're not all in the same spot. I only have one sister locally here in New York. But we grew up with the family that at the end of the day, we just always... You know, we we knew what our goals were. We knew what our mission was. We knew we loved each other uh, and we knew what the long term was that, you know, we were all in this together. And I think when I got down on the trading floor, you know, there was there were people who thought long term. There were people who thought short term and you knew to see you knew to seek them out. There were good people and there were not so good people to be around. There were people who had, you know, lofty goals. There were people who were just down there to, to make quick money. And so weeding through that, um, I think my background in a big family helped out a lot. But as far as dealing with all the guys on the trade desk, yeah, well, <laughs> that's, um, you know, I think if you've just, you know, you keep your head down, you do your work, you, you work hard, you know, you can get along with almost anybody and people will leave you alone. I think if I showed a vulnerability, I think that would have been difficult. But 
I think everybody saw that I shoot. I mean, my husband will tell you to this day when he saw me show up day one, you know, he knew I came to get down to business fast and, and, and do my work and do it well. And I think that's what you got to do. You got to, you have to completely give yourself to whatever you decide to jump to. I think that's super relevant. We have a large part of our audience are, are, are women who are taking jumps into new careers, also second careers, uh, going into things uh, that are traditionally or industries that are traditionally male dominated. And I think that narrative right there is so important that uh, maybe, as someone once said, you can turn a uh, a potential, not negative, but a potential hardship or a potential adversity into something that that you can thrive through and it seems like you were able to do that yeah and i was able to say on occasion you know to somebody who was acting silly or doing something that probably they shouldn't be doing is say hey knucklehead cut it out you know sometimes you got to do that kind of thing and um and i had the support of my husband too which was a great part of that and I don't know. I look back at those days. I'm, th- I'm thinking back as I look back at those days on the trade desk. It really was something. And 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 I had a lot of great mentors and and, and, and my bosses there were great. I've I've had just I don't know. You know, you could say luck, but but my husband always stops me when I say that and says that you've always left the door open. You've always been loyal to where you are, but you know, you always have to just do your work, do the best you can at it, but to understand that, you know, doors are always open and opportunities are always there. Be prepared because those opportunities can can and will come along. Yeah, so in um, in my book, I got to interview a bunch of different folks uh, from all different walks of life. The story that keeps coming back in this conversation that we're having is of another Louisiana, well, he's a Louisiana native, I would say, um, but I call him the real Michael Lewis, the finance author. And he... He describes something that I think is so similar to what you said. You know, he describes it as letting himself be lucky. And I think that's so important to your point. It is luck, but you really put yourself in a position when you got that call from Fox. Yeah. And there's sacrifices involved. You mentioned you mentioned um, my then boyfriend at the time, John. He was living in Chicago. I jumped to New York. And that's a sacrifice not a lot of people are willing to make. And that's a very personal decision. But I did do that. And that was hard and that was time consuming and expensive because, you know, if I wasn't flying back to Chicago on the weekend, which was almost three weekends a month, and he would come to New York like one weekend a month. um, I mean, we we were on a plane constantly and we were jumping back and forth and flying back and forth. and, and, And that was a lot to take on. And there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into, you know, seeking out your long term goals. That was something I was going to ask as well as, you know, people say you never really just jump alone. There's always others involved. How did you, how did you both, you know, come to that conclusion that this was worth doing, that you would make it work? And how did you, how did you, how were you able to overcome the natural obstacles of distance? Because a lot of people do have a family or at least a spouse in mind when they think of taking the jump. Well, it's really hard because I think what a lot of people don't talk about with that aspect, and, and, and it gets a little personal, but by the time Friday night rolls around, if you're if you're playing that hard, if you are that into what you are doing as your profession, you're tired by Friday night. And when you finally get a, an opportunity, whether it's Friday night, Saturday morning, to get where you're going and, and you're carrying on a long-term, long-distance, long-term relationship, it takes a while to unwind. It takes a while to turn it off. And sometimes that's by the end of the weekend and you're going back to work or you're flying back to New York and you're jumping right back into it. And that can be really stressful on a relationship. So 
you have to have a really good relationship and you have to have an understanding. Both of you have to have an understanding that you know, your stress levels are high. You might not be perfectly enjoyable to be around all the time, but realizing that it's all for the long term. And I can say, honestly, we're in a much more comfortable place now because as as we took that road, we ultimately decided that New York was where my career was developing the most. And he was able to um, make his career jump to here eventually with me. We eventually, after we married, Mike, we eventually were able to move in together six months after we married. <laughs> it's a wild story. But, um, you know, those are those are sacrifices a lot of people when you see them so happy and ultimately in this wonderful profession that they made along the way that that you can't see when you just look up at them and, and see them on TV in their in their dream job. That is that is so well put is that I think especially in TV you don't see those things and when you think of jumping you also don't necessarily think of those realities of getting on a plane at you know I've done long distance relationships as well and you know it might sound appealing, maybe, but there's a lot of grit that comes into it. And there's a grit when you decide to go into something totally different, even if it does look nice on TV, if someone turns a channel and sees you on. <laughs> and I think you can never assume that when you make that jump that, yes, you're, you're being sought after because you're good at what you're doing and another company wants you, right? So you make that jump. Don't expect anything. Assume you're starting at the bottom. I always did. Fully commit yourself like you're going to be there forever. Be loyal to that company like you're going to be there forever. Give it your all. And I would consider myself at the bottom every time I made that jump, whether it was from the buy side firm in New York to the sell side firm in, in Chicago, whether it was from that firm to Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg TV ultimately to Fox, where I've been for over a decade now. I worked my way up. And, and, and when I jumped from Bloomberg, at the time at Bloomberg, I thought I was Pretty high up at Bloomberg, but I started from the beginning at Fox. And let me tell you, I have had many, many 16, 20-hour days um, covering the financial crisis, Bernie Madoff, Alan Stanford, chasing these bad guys in the financial industry during all of that. I mean, there have been cold days, numb feet reporting on the ground for hours at a time. You know, we 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 do our time and and we work hard. And... You know, Fox has been a really incredible place for that. I, I have I've worked my way through many different roles here and starting out as a, a financial reporter. And, and, and Fox had a lot of opportunities um, right here in this building that opened us along the way. And, and, and that's where I am today. Wow. Does it go back to that long term vision of being able to dig your heels in and saying, you know, I'm starting at the bottom again, or at least that's the mentality and and pushing through for that type of, you know, endurance, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not, that's really hard making that jump to another firm, right? You're, you're meeting people for the first time. You don't know the software. You don't know how the computers work. You don't know where the lunchroom is. You know, I mean, all those things you start over again, let alone with the ins and outs of your actually ever, your everyday job, uh, your new manager or whoever it may be. There's so much to learn when you make that jump. It's why it's a huge commitment can be a huge sacrifice and can be very scary. And I think if we don't say that, we're lying to ourselves because it always is. I don't care who you are. Absolutely. Every once in a while, I get to to join different um, shows or, or give an interview on kind of the business side of jumping. And I always say there's these 10,000 unsexy steps. And if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you know, I've, I've spoken about this before, but it's that 
it's that first step that comes after saying I'm doing it and the, the 9,999 other steps that come before, you know, showing up as a success story. And if you're not okay with, with that journey, your odds are, you know, not going to be happy with the decision to jump. And in reverse, if you see the obstacles or at least know that they will come, you know, that's, that's almost going to get you through it, not to make it super simple, but it sounds like even if Fox didn't call and you weren't able to, to find that success, you weren't going to give up and broadcast journalism. No. And speaking of not sexy, um, I was asked, and, and I do think you have to say, yes, you know, as it pertains to, to the development of your career, when opportunities are there, even though it might mean that you can't go away on the weekend or you take less days off or you're working around the clock or whatever it is, if you're fully dedicating yourself, you've got to put in the time. And I'll never forget the day that um, when I was still reporting on Fox Business Network before I made this jump to Fox News Channel. Um, oh, I, had, I had made the jump to Fox News Channel and I was co-hosting Outnumbered at Noon, but I had not taken on this role now of also co-hosting America's Newsroom. It was a few years ago and I was fresh off of maternity leave with my second child, my son, and Fox asked me very kindly, we need a solid start to our new Fox business daytime lineup. We need to launch a live 5 a.m. hour, and we want you to lead it off for us. I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? This is going to just be – it's going to change my whole life. And they said, think about it. Come back to us. And I thought about it. And I said, that is going to change my life. That's going to change my family's life. I have this newborn son at home. And 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 God bless Fox. They were incredible through all of this. Obviously, they did not tell me this was something I had to do. But certainly, they were letting me know this was an opportunity that they wanted to give me. And knowing I have this infant at home, it was hard. And so it was my choice. And I ultimately worked it out um, so that I would I would get the daytime lineup launched I did it from a Memorial Day to a Labor Day. So you're talking about three months, but it was life-changing. And I was up and out of my house at 2.30 in the morning. And it took babysitters and my husband chipping in, my sister, my niece. We, we all ma made this happen together. And I, I do think that you have to have a team around you. It takes a lot of support. And I did it. And I hosted every day, 5 a.m., from the Fox Business Network studios, basically before I started my my real day where I went on mornings with Maria as a, you know, a, a reporter from six to 9 a.m. after that. And then I went on and hosted outnumbered on Fox news channel at noon. And this is before I had any of my meetings and things like that before I went home in the afternoon, but I did it. And you, you have to do these things. I mean, and you, and you have to make the decision. Is it right for you? Is it right for your family? Is it right for your career? A lot went into that. But when I say, it's not always sexy. It's not always sexy. <laughs> that was that was tough. Oh, I imagine there's a lot of snooze button hits at like four in the morning. To get, well, <laughs> to get up. you know, I had an infant um, at the time that woke me up plenty of through the night. I joke that I really never set an alarm that whole summer. <laughs> I had a I baby that it. just did not sleep. <laughs> Today, you look at where you are. You you're co-host of America's Newsroom and outnumbered. You've moderated two GOP presidential debates a couple of years ago in the 2016 election uh, season, and I think they were both with your colleague Trish uh, Reagan, which led you to become the first all-female duo in American history to moderate a presidential debate. So people will look at you now and you're like, okay, the, the jump has ended or the, the mountain has been climbed. 
How do you think of your career going forward? I love my time here at Fox. It's it, it is um, the opportunities that I have had and that I continue to have are are amazing. I'm so thankful for them. And I love waking up every morning now and co-hosting America's Newsroom live 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern time, outnumbered at noon. Um, these are just, you know, it's I pinch myself sometimes because it is it is an honor to, to bring the news to people every day globally. And I just covered the royal wedding. And that was a brand new opportunity for me. And I was honored to do that and live from Windsor, England. I I would be remiss if I didn't say that I always keep my options open, but I'm incredibly loyal to a company that has been wonderful to me as I have married while I've been here. I've had two children while I've been here. As you said, I went on to moderate two presidential debates. I'm now hosting three hours of live television. I go to work every single day and I say to myself, I'm going to give my absolute 100% every single day and you have to. You have to. My co-host Bill Hemmer and I talk about this all the time. If you don't, your colleagues will fly right by you. Your competition will fly right by you. So all I can think about is every single day go in and do your darn best. Because if you don't, somebody else is willing to at this level. Those listening, we always like to end with a nugget of something to take with you as you finish your morning commute, as you you know go to bed at night and you're thinking about that jump to take. What would you tell those folks listening? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Answer all the questions you have about your potential jump and ask yourself, where do you see in 10 years? Because 10 years goes by fast, you know? So so going back to the advice of my mom, if you don't, you know, it, waitressing can be a wonderful temporary gig for some people and some, or for an emergency situation where you really need to make some money. We all get that. But if that's not something you want to do 10 years from now, set your sights higher look look for where the opportunity is that could open doors to a longer term situation for you it's really important that you don't think day to day um and i I just i really think you have to think about your family i think you have to think about your heart and i think you have to think about what you like to do because at the end of the day going to work every single day whatever it is tv host or a professional baseball player it's still work And yay. And my one other thing is pick up something along the way, because at the end of the day, you're a culmination of everywhere you've ever worked. From down to a nugget of when I was at Bloomberg TV, somebody taught me to read three newspapers in 30 minutes. I'll teach you that trick someday, Mike. But just like these are the things that you pick up along the way that make you, you who you are at the end of the day. And so always, always listen, always learn and never think that you're at the top of your game. Show vulnerability. These are all important things to keep climbing. Wow, that is a perfect point and a great one to end on. Sandra Smith, co-host of Outnumbered and America's Newsroom. Thank you. Take care, Sandra. Thanks, Mike. You're doing a good thing. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the When to Jump podcast. The show is produced by me, Alex Abnos, for Macmillan Podcasts. The senior editor for the network is Alyssa Martino. You can find out more about us and our other great shows at MacmillanPodcasts.com. When to Jump is a global community connecting people that want to make a big change in their life. You can find out more at WhenToJump.com and follow on social media across all platforms at When to Jump, all one word. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.